Lord, we want to thank you for the uh, blue skies and the fair weather clouds. It's quite cool and windy, but Lord, we know that the weather's changing. And man, what a variety of weather you allow to bring our way. I mean, for goodness sakes, it was snowing a little bit yesterday, and it's like May. My goodness. But at least it was some moisture to kind of wet the ground a little bit. And we ask, Father, in your mercy, grace, and goodness that you would send us the rain that we need. Uh, I see that the farmers are tilling up the soil, and I know I'm about to plant my garden, and uh, soil's pretty hard. We definitely need some some rain, and especially out west. But Lord, I pray that these people out west wouldn't just stop and pray for rain, but they would ask themselves, why are we having these wildfires? And I think that uh, you allow tragedies such as this to come upon our land when we stray from your word and disobey you. There's a litany of consequences for polluting the land with innocent blood, with sexual immorality and things of the like. And uh, maybe maybe uh, these wildfires, maybe they might be a part of that. And uh, I pray, Lord, that these things would not just cause people to pray for rain, but bring people to repentance. Because we know that when people repent and change their heart and mind, uh, you, you shed your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to enlighten us this afternoon as we delve into your word and continue uh, to dissect and, and parse out Paul's letter to the congregations in Rome. Help us to uh, understand it uh, from a historical standpoint so we can be better educated and knowledgeable about church history, but also how we can apply this to our lives in the modern day as believers in the uh, 21st century. We love you and we praise you and ask and give thanks for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans 1 through 11 deals with a lot of issues. And Romans 12 deals with the application or the answer to the issues that were brought up in the first 11 chapters. So the remainder of the letter to the Romans from 12 to 16 is dealing with what the Jews call halakhot. Halakhot is a doctrine. It's applicable teaching. It's how to take what we've learned and how we can apply it in a practical way in our lives. So. Uh, I really enjoy these last several chapters of Romans. So most everybody has memorized Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If they haven't memorized it, they're extremely familiar with it. And so uh, basically in Romans 12, Paul begins to wrap up his letter. And he is beginning to instruct the Roman congregations how to behave as righteous individuals. So we read in verses 1 and 2. I urge you, uh, urge, that's, that's quite a powerful, a powerful word. We don't really use it a lot anymore, but when we urge, urge is related to the word urgent. So if something's urgent, you want it to be taken care of right away, or you want special attention drawn to it. And so he's, he's basically saying, listen up, pay attention. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. Now, that's just a religious word that means set apart, set apart for a specific purpose and use, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or which is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable service. So verse one, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, when you think of the word sacrifice, you think of something that's dead, 
But all sacrifices that are given to God are living sacrifices. You know, you don't bring a dead sheep or a dead ram to give to God. It's a living sacrifice. And just like the sacrifices in the Levitical sacrificial system were living, uh, we need to present our, ourselves, our entire beings, body, soul, and spirit, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or which is your reasonable service, other translation says. So, uh, you know, submitting yourselves fully to God, how do we do that? We submit ourselves fully to God by submitting ourselves fully to his word because it's his word that transforms. His word is living and active. It's not like Shakespeare or Charles Dickens or Moby Dick. You know, those are great pieces of literature. You might learn something from them, but they don't have the power to change and transform your heart and mind like the word of God because these are very these are the very words of God. God's word is powerful, living and active. He said, be light made. Boom, there was light. He spoke everything into creation. And we are created into his image. Therefore, we have to watch what we say because what we say can either build somebody up or tear somebody down. We can bring life or cause death by our very words. Um, I've even heard of some people who've had problems with other people and pray that the Lord take care of them and they end up dying. I don't, I don't want that to happen, but, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue, the proverb says. So um, we submit ourselves fully to God by submitting ourselves fully to his word because his word is so transformative. It will transform and change our lives if we submit to it and apply it. Uh, okay, now, which is your spiritual service, it says here in the Tree of Life version. Um, so the Greek brings this connotation of logical service of worship. The King James says reasonable service. The Greek word is uh, logikos or logikos, which is where we get the word logic. Uh, so um, a lot of times when people think of religion, they think of religious acts and they think of worship, they just think of somebody being lost to a spirit, drunk in the spirit, just doing weird and crazy things and saying, oh, well, that's my worship to God. But here, Paul's saying the worship that God desires is something that's logical. In other words, you've got to apply your mind. You just can't run around and jump around and act like an idiot and say that's worship to God. It's got to come from your heart. It's got to come from your mind. It's got to be reasonable and logical. Yeah. Do you think that sometimes maybe people who give into that side of things would use King David? Where he danced naked before the Lord said, I'll be even more indignified in this. That's yeah. illogical. No, it wasn't illogical. I mean, logic doesn't negate sometimes being foolish. And we also have to remember that God's logic, it, it defies man's logic. Because Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians that I use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So whatever the world thinks is foolish, the world thinks Christianity is foolish. They think being a believer is foolish. Believing in one God is foolish. And believing in a code of ethics is foolish. Not being woke is foolish. So. You know, what, what God deems as logical, the world deems as foolishness. And even the preaching of the cross, the whole plan of redemption is foolish to a carnal, unsaved, worldly mind. But in God's economy, <laughs> you know, it's totally logical. So which is your logical spiritual worship? In other words, that logic is connected to the spiritual aspect of that logic, which comes from God. And God's economy... Whether you're talking about logic or even mathematics, 
is is totally different. God says you have to lose your life if you want to save it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If I lose my car keys, I can't start my car. But in God's economy, if I lose something, I'm going to gain something, which doesn't make sense. And, you know, think of the miracles, how they defied mathematics, science, and the world's logic. Okay, you have uh, a few loaves and a few fish, and you end up with more than what you started with. I mean, in one instance, it was 12 baskets. Another instance, it was seven baskets. I mean, that's more than what you started with. That's illogical, That, but that's God's economy. Fed yeah, and he fed everybody, and there were leftovers. That's just, just crazy. All right. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We know that a, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, there were several things that were offered on the altar. There was the blood. That was usually splashed around the base of the altar. The fat was removed from certain parts of the animal, and it was burned up. The priest received part of the meat in certain sacrifices, the shoulder or the thigh or what have you, and it belonged to them and their family. So you have blood and you have fat, but you also have salt because all sacrifices are to be seasoned with salt. And when we are a living sacrifice and we activate our bodies to serve the Lord physically, mentally, and spiritually, as we're physically acting, we are burning calories. And when you burn calories, you burn fat, you burn blood. Sometimes we get heartbroken over serving the Lord because sometimes, you know, tragedy strikes or, 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 or it's not convenient to serve the Lord and we have heartache and tears are shed. That's where the salt comes from. When we sweat, we exude salt. So just like a sacrifice involves fat, blood, and salt, we as a living sacrifice, we offer God the exact same things when we are active for him when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Also grain too though, right? Yeah, there were grain offerings. Yeah, grain offerings as well, just depending on what the, uh, uh, the sacrifice was and was for. Uh, okay, moving on to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. Wow, that's interesting because that's probably the biggest question on believers' minds. What's God's will for my life? Well, there's a general will and there's a specific will. The general will is easy. Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of mankind. People ask, what is the meaning of life? Philosophers has pondered that, you know, and they don't have an answer, but the Bible has an answer. The meaning of life is to fear God and keep his commandments. It says we were created for his enjoyment. We were created to praise him. That's God's will. God's word is God's will. Keeping his commandments is God's will. So there's a general will of God and there's a specific will. But when we dig into the word of God and we worship him in spirit and in truth, that's when we'll understand and know what God's personal specific will is for our lives. Um, so in the Torah portion for this week, this uh, the Torah portion of uh, Bamidbar, which is the uh, first uh, several chapters in the book of Numbers, it was after the offerings and the sacrifices, the worship of the leaders of the 12 tribes given to the Levites, uh, you know, things for their, for, for, to, to equip them to serve God in the tabernacle. It was after that act of worship and sacrifice that Moses went in and heard God's will for the people. So worship is connected with understanding what God's will is, as is God's word is connected with understanding what his will is. 
Do not be conformed to this world. Basically, in the Greek, it says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So we are being molded by everything that we see in this outside world. What we hear on the radio, what we hear on the internet, what we hear on TV, what we listen to, what we read, what we pay attention to, what we give our time to. Those things are slowly molding us. Now, went to Bible college with a lot of people. And, uh, you know, when they went to Bible college, they seemed to be pretty set in what they believed. But they get out of Bible college, they get involved with the world, and then they start questioning things. Because they maybe start working, you know, I knew this girl who ended up working at a beauty salon and she worked with several homosexuals. Well, maybe it, maybe there isn't anything wrong with it. Maybe it is okay. Because they're influenced by the things of the world. They're influenced by who they're hanging around with, by what those people are telling them, by what they're reading. And it makes them question the word of God. Why? The word of God is pretty plain. It's not ambiguous in any way, shape, or form. You know, I mean, it's, there, it's pretty much a thou shalt not issue. But yet people start questioning it because they allow the world to squeeze them into the mold, molding their thinking, molding their minds. Why do you think they try to get our kids at such a young age in preschool, in kindergarten, starting to talk about pronouns and, and, and gender and all this? Because they know that they're so malleable. They know that if you're going to change a generation, you've got to get them when they're young. You've got to indoctrinate them when they're young. Because their mind is so pliable. When you get older, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. You get set in your ways. You know, I guess this is the way I've always done it, and I'm always going to do it this way. And, you know, that's why it's so hard for some churches to change because it's the older people that are running the church, and you need some young blood. And so that's why you run into a lot of those problems. So it says, do not be conformed to this world, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Because the Lord likens us in the prophets and in other scriptures to clay. And clay is moldable. I mean, it's one of the fun things as a kid, getting to play with clay and Play-Doh and, and whatever. You can make whatever you want. You just have to mold it and form it. And that's what the Lord wants to do to us. We, he wants us to be clay in his hands. He wants to mold and, and form us, and so does the world equally as much. So we get to choose who molds us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I mean, we can rationalize anything we want to do. We can make any sin logical and rational. We just got to set our minds to it. Because the flesh wants what the flesh wants, and we want to find an excuse. Because it seems like we can always find an exception to the rule. Well, you don't understand my situation. I don't need to understand your situation. The Bible is clear on issues. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So culturally, we have a formulated way of getting saved. And there's nothing wrong with that. So usually we say to somebody, you know, all you have to do is accept Jesus in your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. But in other parts of the world, people ask Jesus to come into their throats. Because they believe the throat is the seat of the emotion in a particular culture. Or they ask Jesus to come into their stomach or into their bowels. Which is weird for us. But that's where they believe their emotions and their reasoning and, and the seat of their emotions come from. So it, it's, a, it's a whole cultural thing. But here, Paul is saying that it deals with a change of mind. 
And that is the definition of repentance. Repentance means to change one's mind about something. I used to think this way. Now I think that way. I used to believe this way. <clears throat> now I believe differently. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the world is trying to conform us, but we can buck against it and fight against it and decide to be transformed by the Lord by renewing our minds. How do we renew our minds? We renew our minds through the word of God itself because it's living and active and it's what changes us. Believing what we read in God's word. That's how we renew our mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. The will of God is found in his word. What is good, acceptable, and perfect? One of the first things that you, you read about in Scripture, what is holy, what is unholy, what is clean, what is unclean, what is good, what is evil. I mean, that's from the very beginning, and it's all found in God's Word. So verse 2 deals with um, uh, combating this world trying to squeeze you into its mold and allowing the, wor the Word of God to shape your mind. God's Word reveals God's will. You know, the Bible, this spiritual document, engages the mental, spiritual aspect of ourselves, and the physical body follows suit. So if you change your mind, your body's going to be changed in the process. If I decide, you know what, it's not very healthy for me to lay on the couch and watch Netflix all day and eat potato chips. I am going to make a decision right now that I'm going to start working out every day. I'm going to jog, you know, 30 minutes every day. Well, I changed my mind, and because I changed my mind, my body follows suit. The next day I get up and I go jogging. So if your heart and mind changes, your, your, the physicality of yourself will follow suit. We're changed from the inside out, not the outside in. I can put on a jogging suit, but that's not going to make me want to go running. Yeah, and I can, I, can eat, I can lay on the couch and eat the table. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working out. I'm doing some deadlifts. I'm lifting this dead potato chip into my mouth. You know, I, it, so you can you can do whatever on the outside, but it's not going to change who you are on the inside. You got to change from the inside out. Your heart and mind has to be changed before your physical follows suit. There's people that you know that used to dress very immodestly, and they get saved, and then they start feeling convicted about wearing mini skirts and halter tops and spaghetti strap this and that and whatever, and then and then you start seeing them dressing different. Well, why? Well, because I just, you know, it just doesn't feel right anymore. Because, yeah, so your heart changes and then your physical uh, body changes as a result of that. So knowledge of God's word becomes a conviction. That conviction becomes a practice. And when we practice our convictions, that is a definition of faithfulness. So you have enough faith to practice what you believe, and you believe it, and you practice it consistent, consistently. You're considered faithful to that practice or to that way of life or that principle. So um, when the Word of God unites with our mind, it renews our mind and changes the way we think. So now we're going to be moving on to verses 3 through 19, which... Paul says, I am a Pharisee, not I was a Pharisee. So a lot of his thinking is very uh, Pharisaical, which that's not all bad. Uh, very Talmudic. I've argued the point that he, he argues in Romans as they argued in the, the, uh, the commentary called the Talmud. But also, Paul was very influenced and he was very educated in the way of the Essenes which the Essenes were different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were just the regular Joes, the kind of like almost the blue-collar guys of the world. That's the way the common Jew believed in practice for the most part, or words expected to believe in practice. You had the Essenes, 
which came more from the Sadduceical group, in other words, the Levitical group, but they broke away from the Levites, or the, not the Levites, but broke away from the Sadducees and broke away from the temple because they're like, man, you guys are in bed with Rome. You guys are corrupt. Each one scratching each other's belly and you're bedfellows. We're getting out of here because the temple is polluted and corrupt. They go off into the desert and preserve the word of God by copying it. And then they have this monastic type of practice, this ascetic way of living out in the desert, which it's believed that John the Baptist was a part of that. He was an Essene. So here in verses 3 through 19, we see more of an uh, an Essene way of thinking, an Essene uh, doctrine coming out in Paul's letter to the Romans. So verses 3 through 8 kind of deals with the first rule of an Essene community that all brothers are spiritual equal, equals in God's eyes. So let me read verses 3 through 8. For through the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to use sound judgment as God has assigned to each person a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Messiah, and every parts and everyone's part of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us. If prophecy um, in uh, proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, or the one who teaches in his teaching, or the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who gives in generosity, and the one who leads with diligence, and the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul flushes this out even further in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we're not going to read for the sake of time. But it really goes into detail about how we are, uh, that, how we are a part of the body of Christ. That we are individual pieces of the body. Different digits, different limbs. Some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are fingers, some of us are toes, whatever. Some of us are arms, but we all have to work together to be able to function properly. So here Paul is kind of saying these same things in verses 3 through 8, that we are many members, but all part of the same body. Therefore, we have our particular functions. Now, it would be quite a mess if my foot tried to do what my hand does. Now, I know there's certain situations somebody are amputated, you know, have their arms amputated and they have to use their feet as their hands. But generally speaking, it would be kind of gross and kind of a mess if I tried to eat my food with my feet. Could you imagine having a fork, you know, between my big toe and my middle toe and trying to, you know, eat like that? Now, there's some people who are handicapped that have to do it that way. But generally speaking, all of us who have our limbs, it'd be pretty ridiculous. It's like, hey, buddy, stay in your own lane, right? It's like our, our body parts do specific things. And, 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 and we're not to encroach on each other's body parts. Like uh, sometimes we use our mouth as a third hand. Our hands are full and we'll, you know, but that's not what the mouth is. That's not what the mouth is meant to, to be used for. We can we can pull our teeth out that way, you know. Uh, you 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 use your you use your teeth and you use your mouth for speaking, for eating, for things like that. So it's kind of the same with the body of Christ. If you're called to a specific thing, don't try to be or do the something that somebody else is doing. You know, don't kind of encroach on what God has given them the gift and authority to do. If you're a teacher, be a teacher. Don't try to be a prophet. Sometimes you can be both. Sometimes people have more than one gift. 
You know, if you're if you are, uh, you know, a, a, an, a, an encourager, don't try to, you know, be something else or try to encroach on somebody else's gifts or giftings because that, you know, too many cooks spoil the broth. There's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Right. So if we all stay in our own lane, all work within our own giftings, callings and talents and we come together. Then, man, we're going to be running like a Swiss clock. I mean, it's going to be a very, very beautiful thing. And so that's what the that's what kind of Paul is trying to say here. Yes. yes. One of the things I know I've noticed this over years. One of the things that is a uh, and put that in danger is if we begin to compare ourselves. Right. Because not all gifts are noticeable. Not all gifts are visible and don't receive the same attention. Right? Mm -hmm. I've known some people who've had more necessary gifts, but they're usually the ones that aren't, you know, nobody's noticing. And the struggle can become, well, you know, like if I start comparing myself, then I, I guess maybe it's a, a lust, a desire, or whatever. It's just an open door. So, I mean, that's just a little bit of a negative uh, thing that we have to watch out for is not to. I guess seek the uh, praise of some of the gifts, mm -hmm. and that's Paul's point in Corinthians: is look, you're all after tongues because it's so showable, right? Right. But you're neglecting other important things. So it's just to drive your own lane, like you say, give thanks for God that you got any gift. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I I'll confess that there's been times as a minister, I'll be praying. I'm like, Lord, why aren't you blessing me like this guy? Yeah. You know, and the Lord's like, because I didn't call you to be that guy. I called you to be you, you know, and so you, there is a little bit of jealousy because sometimes our flesh gets involved. We think, well, that guy's getting more attention. He's got more followers. He's got more, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, no, no. We have our niche, our niche, our specific. So it's also kind of like as, as you brought up the gift of tongues. So if I if I go into a house and there is, you know, just some dust on the coffee table. But yet on the rug, there's dog crap. Which is more urgent? Which do which do I need to worry about more? The dog crap, obviously. But yet there's some people that would just say, ew, there's dust here. Look at this dust. Dust, 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 dust. And they'll focus on the dust. And that's kind of like the gifts of the spirit. You have certain denominations that were like, oh, bless God, tongues, tongues this and tongues that. You got to have tongues to be saved. And once you speak in tongues, you don't know what you're missing. And you know, you, you know, why you're missing out on a blessing. Tongues, tongues, tongues. Here she coming in a Honda. Right. Paul said it's the least of all gifts. So why do we have a whole denomination that that's all they focus on? I've no. Seen, I've seen to be able to control my tongue and be able to speak. <laughs> right. And I have a hard time with that sometimes. Yes, exactly. And Paul's like, I'd rather speak so many words in an intelligible language than to speak a whole bunch and people not know what I'm talking about. So not only is the focus on tongues wrong, and I don't want to dismiss tongues because I do speak in tongues, I do pray in tongues, but it's the least of all gifts. You know, and it's something, and not only that, but this certain denomination not only focuses on the least of all gifts, acting like it's the greatest gift, and it's the one that you have to have as your ticket to heaven, but they're also focusing on the Holy Spirit, which there's nothing wrong with that, but who deserves greater attention? Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, because I guarantee you, if you read the scripture, the Holy Spirit's always pointing to Jesus. God the Father is always pointing to Jesus. 
God the Father and the Holy Spirit are both saying, put your attention on Jesus. Put your attention on Yeshua. He's the fulfillment of all prophecy. So when you start focusing on the wrong uh, person of the Godhead and the wrong gift, that's the least, those should be red flags for people. Bunny trail, let's get back on the path here. All right. Yes, I digress. Exactly. So no one congregation is the leader or the head. Rather, Messiah is the head of all congregations and are part of the body of Messiah. Now, it's interesting. The Quakers really took this to heart and really took this literally because the Quakers, they don't have anybody that's designated as the leader or the pastor. Now, people automatically gravitate to certain people that they know are wise people and wise elders. But you go to a Quakers meeting, yeah, it's going to be a lot of silence, Quakers meeting. You know why they're silent? Because they're waiting to hear the Lord speak. And they won't speak until spoken to by God. That's why there's that joke about Quakers meeting and it being silent and all that kind of stuff. And they're also called Quakers because when the Holy Spirit come upon them, they would start to tremble. They would start to shake. And then they would reveal the word of God. But there's not one guy that's called the pastor or that comes in on Sunday morning and says, well, open your Bibles to... You know, it's whoever has a message from the Lord. You know, it's open, open the, flip, the open mic kind of thing. And so the Quakers kind of took this uh, literally. Now, I kind of think they went a little bit too far. There has to be leadership and structure. And I think we can obviously find that and quantify that through the word of God. But the congregation in Rome, Corinth, <laughs> Ephesus, Galatia, etc., is but a fraction of the whole. No, con There was no concept of individualism within these various congregations. Um, let's see. They, these congregations were manifestations of the body of Messiah in that particular city. So this goes along with the Jewish tradition. If you take a Jewish prayer or a Jewish prayer book, you will find very few prayers that say me or I. It's always us and we. And even when you read in Ezra chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, when they are repenting, they repent as a nation. Daniel says we. Ezra says we. Daniel says us. Ezra says us. Even though they were righteous men, they were including themselves in the fall, in the sin of Israel that brought them into Babylonian captivity. So this kind of reflects the Hebraicness of these congregations, that they were... You know, they weren't on this Western kick where it's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, but it's about us as a body, us as a congregation. And just one congregation is a little fraction of the whole. Also, when Jesus, when he teaches about pray, our Father, yeah. there's no I in Right. Great point. Great point. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you're a member of the body of Messiah, not necessarily a member of a congregation. So, you know, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of congregations all over the world. You know, we're all members of the body of Messiah, whether it's Root of Yeshua, whether it's Grand Falls Baptist or what have you. Now, uh, the only thing that separated the assembly or the body of Christ in Rome, the assembly of Rome versus the assembly at Corinth was geography. That's really the only thing that separated them. Our gifts and our callings is not to our congregation necessarily, but to the body of Christ at large. Uh, okay, moving on to verses 9 through 13. Now, verses 9 through 13 tell us how to be that living sacrifice that we read about in verses 1 and 2. 
you know, how somebody with a renewed mind should act, should think and act. That's what verses 9 through 13 is all about. All right, so it says, let love be without hypocrisy. So how can we how can we love and be hypocritical about our love? Well, it, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like in the South when somebody says, "Oh, well, bless her heart." You know what that really means? That person's an idiot. That person's stupid. So when somebody says, "Oh, well, bless her little heart," I mean, oh man, she's a moron. That's what they're really saying. So that's kind of like love. It's like you're showing love. Oh, well, bless her heart because a blessing's good, right? But it's hypocrisy because you're really thinking that person's an idiot. So it says, let love be without hypocrisy, detesting what is evil and holding fast to what is good. Be tenderly devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo one another in giving honor. My dad can beat up your dad. Well, yeah, well, I bet you I can do this. Can you do that? I bet you I can do this better than you. No, be tenderly devoted to one another and brotherly love. Outdo one another in giving, in giving honor. I bet you I could love you better than you love me. That's the way it should be in the body of Christ. Outdo one another in our love and service to each other. You know, it, it, we, you, can all, you can almost make a game out of, oh, yeah, you think you're going to bless me? You just wait. I'm going to bless you right back. I'm going to bless you better than you blessed me. And it's a never-ending cycle of goodness and blessing. So if there's any competition, you know, we, we talked about earlier how sometimes there's jealousy that comes into ministers and into the body of Christ. It's like, God, why are you blessing this guy and not blessing me? Why does he get to do this for you and I don't get to do that? Well, that's jealousy. So this is kind of the opposite where, you know, we should outdo one another in blessing and loving one another. Kathy and I do that every night. Yeah? I, yeah, when I put it in bed, I said Say, I love you. Says, oh, I love you more. I said, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. No, I do love you more. <laughs> so outdo one another. All right, so verse 9. Uh, Let love be without hypocrisy, detesting what is evil and holding fast to what is good. If you detest what is evil, we're, we're going to do a great job of not hurting one another. Detesting what is evil, holding fast to what is good. So how do we know what is good? Verses 1 and 2. Being that living sacrifice and being renewed and transformed by God's word. That's how we know what is good is what is in God's word. Uh, okay. Be tenderly devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo one another in giving honor. Wow. If we would just, if we would just like maybe just focus on that alone, how much better Christendom would be? We started a men's ministry in Grand Falls. We're hoping it reaches all. County, but that's our mission statement, Romans 12, 9 through 22, overcoming evil with good. I, you know, that, <clears throat> I just say that as a, a prayer note because we're actually you know, hoping to see, uh, you know, equip men who love the Lord <coughs> do something outside the four walls of whatever mm. their local group is. God's moving in some hearts right now, people who have land and resources and those things, and maybe we might uh, put ourselves into uh, building a place that has uh, rooms and care for younger women, maybe pregnancies and things to help abortion, those kind of things. It's been amazing to see what God's been doing in the last month and a half on that. We've been praying for four months now, a group of us as men, God, give us a cause 
that is bigger than our own little group mm. that can pull in people who love life, love you, even though we have different expressions of faith and sometimes not even agreeable, but there's that. Right. And, um, so I guess I just want to put that out there just to say pray. Pray for that. It's called Men of Action. And uh, it's um, I, as dark as things may get, I, I know when we live this out right here, we're more than overcomers. And I know mm. we can still make a huge difference in our backyard. Right. And, uh, Amen. Outdo one another in brotherly love, um, or in giving honor, I should say. Do not be lagging in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. This reminds me that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes we got to overcome the physicality of our own bodies and do things when we don't want to. Because we know it's the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do, and we know that if we allow our, our spirit through Christ to rule and reign, that our body is going to follow suit. Do not be lagging in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Keep serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, enduring in distress, persisting in prayer, contributing to the needs of the Kedoshim, that is the holy ones or the saints, extending hospitality. Basically, what this what 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 Paul is describing here is a kibbutz. You guys know what a kibbutz is? Yeah, it's it's not something you say when somebody sneezes, but a kibbutz is a community in Israel where they decided to maybe like live out in the desert, but a group of people gets together and they all have different talents and expertise and they have a little community there. And so Paul is calling for each of these individual uh, congregations that make up the body of Christ in Rome itself to form, forge communities, forge communities, take care of one another. Don't, you know, we're, we're just so lazy and want the government to take care of us, you know, that, that, um, we see somebody in need. Oh well, they, they need to con they need to go to this government website. Bullcrap! If you're the body of Christ and you have means to help, we are obligated to help. It's not the government's job to provide for our needs, and to help. it's the body of Christ's job to provide for each other's needs. Now I know that we're not rich and we don't have a lot of resources, but what we do have, we can help each other, and that's what we need to do. So Paul's calling uh, to pull our resources together and to create communities within these different uh, uh, bodies or different cell groups in the body of Christ in, in the Roman province. Uh, okay. So verses, um, okay, we was nine through 13. Okay. So now this kind of goes back to Leviticus 19, 18, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, a lot of us is selfish, and as long as our needs are met, we're fine. But we need to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. Whatever we would do for us or provide for us, we need to do the same for other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Yeshua himself led by example. So in John chapter 13, read a few verses here. So Yeshua is modeling servanthood. So verses, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, is basically, it's, it's going over the Last Supper or the Last Passover Seder, and Yeshua is washing his disciples' feet. That's unheard of in Judaism. That's unheard, not washing feet, but having a rabbi wash a disciple or a student's feet. No, it's the students that need to serve the rabbi. It's the students that serve, you know, the leader. Because they're learning from him, and they kind of got to pay, pay their dues or whatever. But Yeshua flipped it on its head. He's like, we've got to serve one another. 
We, we got to think of the other person more than we think of ourselves. We've got, and that's kind of like an acronym for an English acronym for the word joy. Our priority should be J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. You put Jesus first and you put others before yourself. And when you do that, and you do that wholeheartedly and sincerely, you're going to experience what true joy is. So in uh, John 13, uh, Yeshua is washing the disciples' feet, and he just doesn't wash the disciples' feet that is behind him or that is for him. They all ran away. They all chickened out and ran off. And two of them betrayed. Oh, I thought it was only one. No, Peter betrayed. Peter says, I don't need blankety blank, blank, blank. I don't even know the man. He denied Yeshua, you know, three times. And Judas betrayed him. And he knew what Judas was going to do, and he washed his feet anyway. So we need to wash each other's feet, literally and figuratively. That's one thing that I so appreciate about growing up Free Will Baptist, is we practiced foot washing right before communion, or right after communion. And that was the most humbling thing, and it was it, it brought so much joy, especially I just bawled my eyes out when my dad bent over and washed my feet. My dad washed my feet. He did. He, no, I'm not worthy. I didn't deserve that, but he did. And it just I just bawled my eyes out when he did that. And then I washed his feet, which made me cry even more because his feet deserve to be washed by me. You know, he he's the one who gave me life. Okay, uh, moving onward. Verse 14, back in Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, we read this in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. So, in Matthew chapter 5, read really quickly verses 10 through 12. Bless Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And jumping down to verse 44 in the same uh, chapter of Matthew chapter 5, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, we also read in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for the ones who mistreat you. This is basically the best and sweetest revenge of all. Is being able to kill somebody with kindness not easy to do because your flesh wants to lash out your flesh wants to retaliate your flesh wants to get back but if you allow the redeemed spirit man to take over and do his job and you bless and do not curse that's powerful i mean it i think the proverbs tells us that it heaps hot coals on a person's head it shuts them up it's actually right here in chapter 12. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it just shuts people up. And I, I just, I know I tell this story all the time. You're probably getting sick of hearing about it. But when that bully wanted to beat the crap out of me that day at school, 
And my redeemed spirit man rose up within me and I got in his face and I said, I love you and Jesus Christ loves you. He, did, he couldn't say anything. He was shocked and stunned, silent because of my love, my boldness and my love, because I loved him instead of hated him. I didn't give him what he wanted. A punch in the face is what he wanted. I didn't give him that. I gave him love, and it was, and I, and I literally thought of that verse. It was like heaping hot coals on his head. It shut him up. So kill people with kindness. That's what we need to do. Uh, all right, back to Romans uh, thirteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to kill their flesh, right? Yeah. You guys know what I mean. Verse fourteen: Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, I kind of remember, uh, you know, Job. That's what his friends did is, that, you know, they started out doing good. They were weeping with him in the tragedy that ensued Job's life. But there's a passage in Job, if I can find it really quick. In Job chapter 30, verse 25. It says, Have I not wept for the unfortunate? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? Job made it a practice to put himself in other people's shoes. He was able to sympathize and empathize with others. And that's what we need to do as well. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the verses 1 through 8, talks about there's a time for everything. So there's a time to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, somebody that I know just uh, had their last cancer treatment. And they were feeling good, and you know, as far as they knew, they were cancer-free. So I was rejoicing with them. It made me happy to see their success. Now, honestly, I'll tell you what's hard. What's hard is seeing a gold bricker win the lottery. It's hard to be happy for somebody like that. What did they do? They didn't deserve that. They're just they lace around all the time. Like I got bills, I could use that. You know, and so it's sometimes it's hard for our flesh to really rejoice with other people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We need to sympathize and empathize. Walk a mile in the other person's moccasins. Put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And uh, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. So for this passage... I want to read a little section in uh, the Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will pay back evil. Wait for Adonai so he may deliver you. And then also in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 9. It tells us, a foolish scheme is sin. Did I get that right or did I mess that up? I probably got one of those dyslexic moments. A foolish scheme is sin and people detest a mocker. So verse 17 of Romans 12. Oh, I skipped ahead here. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Oh, here's the verse that I was looking for. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is good in the eyes of all people. Um, now, it's interesting. Verse 17, Paul may have been quoting from the now lost gospel of the Hebrews, to which we only have a few fragments uh, that's quoted from. 
So that's a speculation by some scholars there. Uh, okay. All right, verses, back to Romans 12, verses 18 and 19. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in shalom, live in peace with all people. Now, that doesn't mean that you be a welcome mat, you know, defend yourself, stick up for yourself. But if it's just kind of one of those like little things, let it slide. It's not a big deal. You know, try to live at peace if it's not, you know, if it's if, if don't make a mountain out of a molehill, in other words. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in shalom and peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Adonai. So um, give God room. Give God to work. It's uncomfortable being put down. It's uncomfortable being persecuted. It's uncomfortable being treated unjustly. But let give those people a wide berth because they will create enough rope to hang themselves with, and God will eventually get them back. And when God does, it'll be in such a way that it'll glorify him but vindicate you at the same time. So we're not to take revenge. That's what our flesh wants. Again, it's that principle that we talked about earlier in Romans where Paul was talking about feeding the evil inclination or allowing the good inclination to take over. Okay. Repay no one for evil for evil. Give thought to what is good in the eyes of all people. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, loved ones, but give room for God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. There you go, Tracy. That's the verse you were talking about. Do not be over do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So when we act out in our flesh and act out in revenge we're acting out in evil and we can't overcome evil with evil. We've got to come we got to overcome evil with good. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's heartbreaking, it's painful, sometimes it's humiliating, but it's always worth it because we get the upper hand. We become the bigger person in the end for that. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him to drink. Now, I want to read. Let's see. See if this is the right passage here. Yep. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap coals of fire on his head. So obviously the Apostle Paul is quoting from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. So that's a hard thing to do when we disagree with somebody or when somebody is persecuting or coming against us. It's really hard to do good to them. So like when you were being shut down, canceled, humiliated, uh, run through the rumor mill by people like the, the woke movement or the LBGTQ alphabet group movement, we want to we deny them. We don't want to give them anything, but the best thing to do is love them because that's how you're going to win them into the kingdom of God. Not denying them and saying, well, I hate you and wish you'd go to hell and, you know, and not have anything to do with them and deny them. What they need as a human being, they need love. 
The reason the reason they're acting that way and expressing that way is because they were most likely abused at some point in their life and they lack they want to experience true love and they're trying to find it in all the wrong places. So when you show them the love of God, the love of Christ, uh, that's true love and it will change and transform their heart. Uh, and and all, we just got to be obedient. We, we can't we can't be the ones who look for the or desire to to be the end goal. Our job is to plant seeds. It's God who makes the seed grow, and it's God who reaps the harvest. So all we got to do is, is love people and share the truth, share the gospel, and let the Holy Spirit let God do the rest. We can't do the Holy Spirit's work for the Holy Spirit. All right. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing so, you will heap hot coals upon his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's probably one of the most hardest things to do because we feel like we're, we're, we drew the short straw. We feel like we're being taken advantage of. We feel like we're getting the short end of the six uh, sort of thing. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That even implies it's a decision. We can't say the devil made me do it or I couldn't help myself. No, we have a decision. We have a choice. We can allow the good inclination to do its job or we can give ourselves over to the evil inclination. And that's not what we want to do. All right, so we covered chapter 12, and we're going to skip ahead to chapter 14 because if you remember, I already did chapter 13 way earlier. Uh, so next time we meet, we'll start Romans chapter 14. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Lord, that's some hard stuff to swallow. Even as I'm teaching it, I'm thinking how hard it is for me to live it out and to practice it really hard. And that just shows that I need more humility in my life. That just shows I need more repentance in my life. That just means that it shows that I need more submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit and to your word in my life. And I'm sure every one of us here are on the same page and we can all relate. So Lord, I pray that when we're triggered, that when we're triggered, we'll realize that it's the flesh that's being triggered. And remember that we need to let the renewed man, the spirit man uh, in Christ Jesus take over and just say, no, 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 no. What would the Lord do in this situation? I know what my flesh wants to do, and I've got to starve that out. I've got to deny that. i got to do what, what the word of God says, what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And we know that the Holy Spirit is going to read, lead us into righteousness, into holiness, and into truth. And that's, those actions are going to testify that there is a God. Those actions are going to testify that there is a Holy Spirit. Those actions are going to testify that there is a, 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 a real deal in regards to salvation, and the Word of God is, is true. And by doing what the world doesn't expect or doing what the, the opposite of what the world does, um, that is just another avenue that can lead people to Messiah, that could lead, lead people to Christ. And Lord, we want to do that. We want to be that, especially in this day and age uh, where it seems like the whole world has turned against us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask and give thanks for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.